Now, uh, we are picking back up. I have updated the handout. However, as Reed, as I told Reed, but most of y'all will not care, Word wants to, believe it or not, autocorrect when I put in some Hebrew terms. So I put in a few Hebrew terms. I corrected it several times because it kept moving a race around and a, a lamed. And it's anyway. So anyway, what you guys have with your paper handout is incorrect, but y'all probably won't know or care. I'll just tell you the way it's supposed to be. Okay. So we're on page two. And we're getting back into this whole thing about picking up where we left off. Okay, so um, nobody seems to be complaining about this. So I've, uh, in trying to give you all a summary overview of the Old Testament, I have been, of course, interested by the Old Testament. And wanna, so I've been digging in deeper and I'm actually spending much more time in Genesis than I intended to do. We will eventually get to, but this, you really kind of have to know this. I think this is really helpful for you all. And, and those of you who watch it on Facebook and Zoom, and I know we got a lot of people watching it on Facebook or who will listen to this study later on the YouTube or the podcast. It's very helpful to understand what is happening in Genesis chapters one through 11, because that reverberates all the way through the story of the division of the kingdom of Israel and all the way through the conflict um, or the conflicts, the multiple conflicts that permeate and give the background of what's happening in the story of Isaiah and what he's prophesying and what actually runs all the way through uh, the book of the Revelation. And the conflict, uh, what I want to summarize for you is, and you'll hear this in sermons from me too, but y'all, since y'all are doing the Bible study, if you're listening or watching the Bible study, you, you'll make these connections and remember this, hopefully repeatedly. Uh, there is a basic conflict that is described in, in the Bible from Genesis um, chapters, really chapter three onward, but definitely chapter four onward, between the city of man and the city of man's glory and idolatry and Zion and true communion with God that glorifies the name of the God, uh, the name of God and the fellowship of God. Uh, so there really is this conflict going on and the covenants fit in to that larger story. Um, so uh, anyway, let's go over some of the covenant things and then I'll get back into what I was just saying, okay? But um, Babylon, features in Genesis 1 through 11, okay? You, are, you already, Babylon is a huge issue during the, what Isaiah's prophesying. Babylon is already at issue with the Tower of Babel. We'll come back to that, okay? So, uh, Brit, again, that is the, Brit is the uh, Hebrew word for covenant. And you see it up on the top of page two there. Um, I've got it here in the handout for you. Um, Diatheke in the Greek, uh, these things both mean covenant. Covenant is another word for testament, as we talked about last time. So when you talk about the New Testament, you're talking about the New Covenant and vice versa. And as we said last time, I know a couple of weeks ago, I said, Old Testament is an unfortunate 
term really that we use for the Hebrew Bible because there are in fact several covenants, plural, uh, in the Hebrew Bible. And also the word or the phrase Old Testament indicates, well, this is kind of, you know, that's like my old car that I'm, that I don't drive anymore kind of thing. It's like, no, 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 <laughs> it's not, it's not replaced and it's not irrelevant. It's highly relevant to understanding the whole, all of what God is doing and certainly all of the Bible. So what is a covenant? You can see the little uh, framing uh, that I gave you here at the top of page two. Uh, there are parties to a covenant. Everybody see that, right? There are parties to a covenant. There are promises to a covenant. And remember, I'm not going to go back over what we covered with Paul from uh, Romans um, last time. But, but remember the way he's really emphasizing the, uh, and this runs all the way through the New Testament, not just in Romans chapter 4. And not just in Romans chapter 9, but all the way through the New Testament, there are repeated references to the Evangelia, uh, the, the promises of, or the promise of, um, th that are being fulfilled through Jesus' coming and through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the new covenant. Okay? So covenants have promises. Um, and these have to do with benefits and blessings, okay? And when we, are, when we are saved in Jesus Christ, what the scripture says is that we share in all his benefits and blessings, okay? So that's, that's really pertinent um, language in understanding the Bible and our Christian life. Um, you can see here that there's, there's usually a prologue or a covenant context. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. You know, there, that's, that's telling you what is going, that's the setup, right? Okay. Um, and then there are conditions or stipulations. There are promises, uh, benefits and blessings. There are also promises that if you do this, it's not going to be good. But if you do this, it's going to be very good. Now, even if you talk in terms of what some people will call an unconditional covenant in the scripture, there are still issues of response and consequence. Okay? So we'll come back to that. And then um, there are often covenant signs or a covenant sign. Okay. And we'll come back to this, but just to give you an example or a couple of examples, the covenant of circumcision, I often call a covenant of circumcision with Abraham, okay? Um, what's the sign of the covenant of circumcision? This is the easiest question you'll ever get with Bible study, right? The sign of the covenant of circumcision is what? Circumcision, okay? Uh, so uh, what's the sign of our being united with Christ by his Holy Spirit? What's the covenant sign of that? baptism yes okay uh what is the covenant sign that god gives after the flooding and noah we're going to come back to this tonight right the rainbow um when uh when i officiate a wedding and i say what signs of your covenant do you bring 
And what am I asking for at that point? The rings, right? So um, signs. Um, as this says in this little handout note, Berit, a solemn commitment of oneself to undertake an obligation. Okay, now we talked about this last week. We kind of ran through these. Uh, let me just give you this overview and then we're going to go in a lot deeper. I'm just giving you overview to start out with here on page two here. Everybody see that major covenants in the Old Testament. This is simply from the NIV Zondervan Study Bible, but it gives you, um, you know, it points out. In other words, here it's pretty obvious. There's more than one covenant in the Hebrew Bible, is there not? I mean, you've got all these right here. Uh, the Noahic Covenant, to which we'll turn in a little while, a little more deeply, in uh, Genesis 9, um, and, and actually 6 through 9, um, the Abrahamic Covenant, part one, so to speak, Abrahamic A is the way to have it put here, uh, which is the royal land grant following up on the promise Okay, remember how you had a promise? With Abraham, you get the promises and you get development of promises with covenant clarification and specific covenant um, enactment, okay? So in Genesis 15, you get the Abrahamic covenant A, uh, the royal land grant, um, and God accords righteousness, as you, you know, we talked about, I talked about this last time, that is the gospel right there in, in Genesis 15, 6. The Lord credited to him as righteousness, and that's in response to Abraham's belief in the promise of the seed. Remember, I really talked about seed last time. Y'all remember, I mean, I am emphasized seed, right? Paul emphasizes seed in Romans um, 4 and 9 when he's talking about the promise or the promises. He's talking a lot about seed. Remember, we talked about that, the spermati, right? And, and the sperma, okay? So, um, the Abrahamic covenant B, which is commonly called the uh, circumcision covenant uh, in Genesis 17. And this is very clearly a suzerain um, covenant relationship. Uh, there's no question that God is the emperor, God is the king in this relationship. And it's very clear in the way God commands the circumcision in 17. Um, the Sinaitic Covenant uh, or Horeb Covenant uh, in Exodus um, 19, and I guess you would say it's, you know, it's reiterated in Deuteronomy, uh, which would sometimes be called the Horeb uh, Covenant. Sinai and Horeb are two names for the same mountain, right? Um, and then uh, Bithynia's Covenant, which is often over overlooked right in, um, in the line of Aaron, um, Phineas the faithful priest, and God makes covenant with, with Phineas. Um, and that is notable because Jesus is um, not only king, but he's also prophet and priest. But what we get in the New Testament is the fact that actually we're not primarily looking back to Phineas, we're primarily looking back to Melchizedek, right, as the king of righteousness, who is also a priest of God most high, uh, whom we encounter in the Abraham story. Then finally, the Davidic covenant, we've talked a lot about that, 
already in this study, and I know we, those of you who are with us uh, this summer and this fall for the study of Psalms, we talked about that Davidic covenant a whole lot. We'll come back to that, but that's the Second uh, Samuel 7. Um, and that is also a seed. I mean, most of these covenants, you're looking to seed. You're looking not just to the person. The, the, the big deal is looking to the seed, the future, uh, the descendant or descendants. And seed, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago before. Again, I'll, I'll get into all this. But seed, in many of these cases, can mean singular or plural. And so the question is, what are you talking about? A lot of times you're talking about both. But centrally, the primary seed who is going to is, is a singular who's going to effectuate this and then expand out to the whole seed, right, including all the descendants of Abraham. It's going to be one central seed. And obviously, who is that central seed? Jesus. Okay. Uh, then you got the new covenant, uh, which is in Jeremiah 31 and elsewhere. So picking up on the new covenant in the notes here. Um, again, to kind of try to fit this into a big story, um, the new covenant prophecies and previews that we see in the Old Testament, which by the way, uh, you've got the new covenant already being prophesied in effect by Moses in Deuteronomy 29 and 30, for instance, the circumcision of the heart. God is gonna circumcise hearts. These are going to be a new kind of people. Their hearts are going to be circumcised. You have that all the way back. I mean, all the way back in Torah, all the way back with Moses in Deuteronomy. But then, then you do go to classically, the, the, the classic point of reference would be in Jeremiah 31 and 33. And, uh, and then Ezekiel 11 and 36. Now, remember, folks, when Jesus takes the cup, um, we're told that Jesus says, this is the cup of the, what, new covenant, right? What's he, he's talking about this new covenant that we're seeing reverberating and building up and promised through the Hebrew scripture. So, um, and he's securing this new covenant by his own blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. So, uh, but the new covenant, as I say here, um, these prophecies and previews promise not only a new or renewed Israel, God's people. Now, let me just remind you, these covenants are never in a vacuum. They are always in a context, and they have to do with a line of people, okay? Like even with David, you're talking about a line, a family line, okay? Um, and, and certainly with Israel. With Abraham, you're talking about a people. Yes, does God deal with this individually and personally? Yes, but does he ever deal with this just kind of unto ourselves individually? No. The ongoing story of the Bible all the way through. Now, this is countercultural to the way Americans and Westerners like to think. It's all about me. God, I want to know about my insurance policy for eternity. Could you just check in with me, Martin? This is mainly about me, right? No, no, no. This is part of a much bigger story. I, I know most churches talk like that, and that's kind of what they're selling, that version of Christianity in the Bible. But that is not, 
that's not actually biblical. Okay, so you're always in these relationships. So, um, any questions on that? By the way, Larry. Yeah, the Palestinian covenant, the land covenant. Uh, you're you're coming back to that in Deuteronomy. Uh, it's that's. Let me come back to the Palestinian covenant, Larry. We can talk about that in dispensational theology. The Palestinian covenant is emphasized more heavily than in like this Zondervan, for instance, layout is not a reformed layout. It's just a general evangelical layout. Uh, but in reformed theology, this the Palestinian covenant is not highlighted at all. But this is not a this is not, by the way, right here. I've, I've given you kind of a neutral evangelical layout here. But let me come back to the Palestinian covenant. The Palestinian covenant is going to have to do with its level of importance depends on whether you think the reconstitution of the nation of Israel is key. How key do you think that is? There's no question that that is at play, whether you're reformed or dispensational, but dispensationalists emphasize that a whole lot more. I may be talking over everybody's head right now. I'll come back to that. Okay. Um, all right. So. Anyway, um, but that's a very good question, Larry. So we'll come back. I'll talk about. I'll, I'll delve into the Palestinian covenant since we want. And, and that that comes back in late Deuteronomy and the question of if Israel is faithful and will return, then the land will be restored. Okay. Now the interesting thing right now is you do have the nation of Israel. You know, a nation of Israel restored. Are they just vibrantly faithful Torah observing Jews right now? No, like 90% of them are not. So what is going on with that? Did they, did they justify, uh, you know, the constitution of the Palestinian prophecy, you know, at the end of Deuteronomy by their faithfulness? Nope, but God seems to be acting. So that's, that's an interest. That is a really interesting question to delve into. Very interesting question to delve into, right? But, but you got, well, Larry and Wanda, when y'all went to Israel, you saw, like, you've got the really extreme Hasidic Jews, right? And, and then you got everybody else, and most of the everybody else do not look like they're really Torah observant, right? And they're certainly not exercising the sacrifices, um, you know, that are required under the law, really. So, that, okay, so that's a really good question, though, Larry. So let's come back to that. Um, all right, then... Um, not only a renewed covenant, uh, a renewed Israel under a new, you know, renewed covenant uh, in a renewed relationship with God and his word, but also God's gift of his chosen servant to be a covenant, a, um, to be a covenant and that's where the Hebrew, sorry, if you happen to read Hebrew, it's messed up on this handout. But, but read is fixing it because I, I caught that when I was running these copies for you in here. Uh, Labrit, um, um. So he's going to be a covenant for the people. And he's, uh, 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 he's going to be Laor Goyim, a light for the nations, and goyim is translated, as I've got it for you right here, either Gentiles or nations. 
And you might ask me, well, which one is it? And I would say, yes, because the Bible, and we'll get into this more, like when we turn the page here, the Bible thinks in terms of nations and these lines from people, okay? You're not, you're not talking about what we mean typically by nations, okay? You're talking about groups and lines of people that come from certain backgrounds, okay? So uh, what the reason I'm highlighting this for you is because usually when you get a summary of the new covenant, you're going to focus on Jeremiah 31, throw in Ezekiel maybe. A lot of people will not go back to Deuteronomy number one, but definitely most people will forget Isaiah. And what I've just shown you here on this handout is Isaiah is the one who amplifies big time the new covenant implications. Because, and obviously this is, the reason I'm highlighting this is because we're in Isaiah right now, you know, on the preaching series. And when we come back to this, this has been, when you get into the second part of Isaiah, all of a sudden you've got two servants. It's kind of like the seed. Remember I told you like seed can be plural or singular. Well, this is the same kind of thing. You've got Israel or Jacob or Judah, who's supposed to be the servant of the Lord. And they're being called back to be faithful because they were not a very good servant, right? And then you've got God choosing a special servant. And you've got songs and prophecies about this special servant who's going to arise. And, and, and that, the sequence of those prophecies about this, my servant, my chosen one begins with Isaiah chapter 42. And you see, I've got it here highlighted. So let me just tell you, read to you about this servant. These are just a couple of examples. Um, Isaiah 42, verses one through Seven. Okay, let's just read there. Isaiah 42, 1 through 7. Who is this? Are we still talking about Israel? Or is this someone special that is at play once you hit Isaiah 42? Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen. Notice, God is, God is always elective, right? Well, God has elected this, whoever this is, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth uh, justice, mishpat, to the nations. To, to the nations. Now, does this mean bad news, that he's going to bring the hammer down on them? Or does this mean good news? And again, the answer is yes. <laughs> Um, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed. Now, you guys, you guys are New Testament Christians. You already know who we come to understand who this is, right? Um, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice. 
or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. In other words, he's not going to be a big blusterer. He's not going to say, I'm the greatest. You need to put my face up on the mountain. I'm the dude. This is not the way he's going to come in, okay? Um, a bruised reed he will not break. I mean, he's not making any fuss. Um, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. But he will faithfully bring forth mishpat, God's order, God's law, God's judgment, God's justice. He will not faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Now, you notice his reign apparently extends across all the earth to all people. Are y'all picking up on this? Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am Yahweh. All of a sudden, he's shifted. He's talking to the servant. Okay, we've had a shift. This is like in the Psalms when you get these shifts. Are y'all tracking with me? At verse six, we have this shift. Everybody see this? I am Yahweh. I have called you in Sedeca in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a, there it is, bereaved. I will give you as a covenant for the people and a, or light for the nations or for the Gentiles to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Um, by the way, just since we're here, we, we just can't miss this with the Isaiah, whole Isaiah thing. Um, eight and nine, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved animals. Behold, uh, excuse me, carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Remember how I tell you about the former things and Isaiah keeps going back and forth, the former things and the things to come. Um, new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Now, this God, the Lord, shares his glory with no one. But we already have this rumbling that whoever this servant is apparently deserves the name and the glory of God. Now, does Israel ever get close to living up to that? Hmm? Is present-day nation of Israel living up to that? Is that how the whole world's going to be saved? Because we got a reestablished state of Israel over there on a little swath of land in the Middle East. Is that going to save everybody? Is that going to establish justice throughout? We're probably talking about somebody else, aren't we? Who's going to be the covenant to the nations? But notice this. So God's plan, uh, which you have to understand with connection with this new covenant or whatever God is doing, all these covenants move towards God making a covenant with all the people, all the people who will turn to him. Okay. So, and then, and then you see it again in 49, 6 through 9, and we can keep going in Isaiah, but I just wanted to give you a taste of this new covenant, big vision thing going on in Isaiah. 
um, six through nine. He says, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? In other words, God or the father is saying to the chosen servant or the son, in our perspective from a Christian, um, is, it, um, is it enough that, um, you know, you restore Israel or you bring back the remnant of Israel? And the answer is no. If I'm sending you, you and I are going to deal with all creation and certainly all the earth, right? So let's keep going. Um, I will make you as a, there it is again, a light um, for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Verse seven, thus says the Lord, the redeemer of Israel and his holy one to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, has chosen you. The Holy One of Israel has chosen whoever this person is or whoever this is, you know, uh, to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So y'all see that? Okay, so you got to understand this person is God's ultimate covenant. <laughs> Right? That's what you're reading here. So remember, big picture on these covenants. Um, he's not just the seed. He's also the covenant itself. Isn't that cool? That's cool. Okay. All right. So uh, now let's go back. So y'all got kind of big picture and reintroduction to covenant. Questions? No. Okay. Okay. So let's go to page three. Um, yeah, we talked about some of this. We got into this last time, so I'll just uh, remind you that we talked about the creation order and constitution of Genesis 1-1 through 2-4, uh, the Imago Dei, the image of God. Um, that's just Latin for image of God. And uh, the creation mandate and commission, you know, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion over the earth and over everything that moves on the earth. Y'all remember that, right, from Genesis, okay? So um, that's part of the uh, Adamic covenant, God's covenant with Adam. And uh, that covenant is with the man and the woman. Remember, the woman is formed from Adam. So Adam, once God takes part from the man um, you can't be complete without the man and the woman um, so then you've got specifically the Edenic covenant the Eden, Eden covenant um, again as I mentioned last time in reformed theology and Westminster standard theology you're talking also about all of this being kind of under the covenant of works um, You've got covenant of grace going on too in the midst of the story and ultimately the covenant of redemption. But I'm not pounding reformed theology per se, unless y'all want me to with this. I'm just trying to kind of get into the Bible here. Um, 
Okay, so, and remember, arguably what we said, and you see it like in Hosea, and I will tell you, in Reformed theology, it is definitely very strongly understood that Adam is under covenant with all this, that you do have covenant making going on here, even though the term berit is not used. There's no question that there are promises and commands and a relationship going on here in, in, in Genesis 1 through 3. Now, we have the fall. And uh, in the aftermath of the fall, you have something of a covenantal update and promises and provisions going on. Because remember how Adam and Eve um, fall, right? With the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And um, you have judgment by God and curses. But um, God does not curse the people. The people have to live in the context of the curses but God does not curse the people. People who superficially read the Bible also will typically talk about, well, when the man and the woman got cursed, when we got under the, it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, so let's, let's just turn to that and, and read what is going on. And then we'll, we'll come back to, I, I think, yeah, we, I know I introduced the Proto-Evangelion of uh, 315 last time. So we'll come back to that now. Um, So, um, picking up at verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, that is the definition of people who are in sin. Because their communion with God is broken. And in fact, they want to run away from the communion with God. They're the opposite of walking with God. They probably want God to do some things for them. And there are a lot of Christians or so-called Christians who want God to do some things for them, but they really don't want to hang out with God and they don't want God looking underneath their sheets. Okay. This is, this is what you got going on here. Um, but the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And that is a deep question. God obviously knows physically exactly where Adam is. But this is a deep question. This is the question God asks you and me every day. Where are you? You didn't check in with me. You don't seem to be walking with me today. And you might protest and say, but I did my devotional this morning. God might say, well, yes, but you still do not actually. That seemed to be to me like a ritual, a Pharisaic ritual. Are you actually with me? Where are you today? So that's <laughs> that's a question. <laughs> Obviously, I'm going into various sermons right now, but um, let's see. Um, and he said, I heard the sound of you. This is Adam. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, and now we get all the recriminations. The woman, that wife of mine, she's the prime. You gave her to me. 
uh, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. I was just a victim. <laughs> she, uh, she forced it down my throat. <laughs> uh, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, well, the serpent, it's the serpent's fault. The serpent deceived me. Um, and I ate. Now notice here, I'm going to come back to this and emphasize this. To whom is the Lord now speaking? Does the Lord turn around to the man and say, curse you? No. And the Lord is speaking to the serpent. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you. Did he say cursed is Adam? No, he said cursed are you. Uh, above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and thus you shall lead all the days of your life. And here's the Proto-Evangelion. We talked about this last time, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Zara, zara, okay? Um, he shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. Uh, to the woman, he said, cursed are you. Is that what he says? Y'all read that right there? No. Doesn't say that. Um, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. That is a really complex verse. I'm not going to get into that. That, 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 that. That's more complex than what it seems on its face, okay? Um, let's keep going, though. And to Adam, he said, now notice, she was going to have children anyway. But now the childbearing is going to be hard. And she was going to have, a, she obviously already had a relationship with Adam, right? But now the relationship is much more complicated. And Adam was supposed to work, right? He's supposed to keep the garden, right? He's supposed to work, right? And remember, I told you those, those verbs in the Hebrew are like the Levites do in the, in the tabernacle or the temple, okay? But now to Adam, he said, yeah, you're going to work, but it's not going to be fun anymore. <laughs> it's not going to be, it's not going to be whole, it's not going to be sanctified at the level it ought to be because you have listened to the voice of your wife you have listened to the voice of your wife we get this same statement again i'll remind you of this when sarah gives hagar to abraham with this brilliant idea that Sarah has come up with, that since God has prevented Sarah from having children, just have a child, just have sex with, and have a child with my handmaiden, Hagar. And when the Lord comes down on Abraham, he says the same thing again, because you have listened to your wife. Um, so, you know, that's the, the uh, men, you know, are supposed to be spiritual leaders. We don't have that going on with these guys in this situation. But I got some good news for the women coming back, too, on this. Okay, so um, I'll come back to that. Okay, um, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you. You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you. And uh, you shall eat the plants of the field. 
by, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, living, life, because she was the mother of all living. And then, you know, the Lord makes garments for them and uh, they have to get out of the, the garden and they're prevented from being in the garden because they, they're not supposed to stay in this state forever. They don't want eternal life in this state. This is not a good, this is not a good state to be perpetually in. So they, the Lord is very concerned about eating from the tree um, of life. Okay. So that's that. Um, any questions on this? Okay, now uh, back to the women. Uh, I've got good news for the women. This is kind of cool, okay? First of all, note, you see my notes there? Note, however, number one, this is really interesting. The proto-evangelium that we get, the, like the, like the pre-gospel gospel thing, is not given. Like a lot of times you'll see this, like I people summarizing, well, this was said to the man or the woman. That's no, said to the serpent. You actually have to read the scripture closely, but this is just fascinating. So the gospel, <laughs> the gospel, which is not good news for the serpent, right? It's good news for us, is given to the serpent. God's word, gospel word is to the serpent, to the enemy. In his, in God's cursing and sentencing, you understand this is a sentence going on here, right? This is like the judge coming down with the sentence. This is what's going down on you, serpent. Um, sentencing him. Now, what is happening here? Okay, let me take you over to, you're getting broad sweeps of the Bible here, but Ezekiel 36, 22. Ezekiel 36. Why is God doing this? Why is God going to give this, um, this victory um, for the seed of the woman? Well, it's not because Adam is so good. Uh, verse 22. Everybody see this? I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can go back and look at this. Everybody see 36, 22. Therefore, Say to the house of Israel, Ezekiel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. Now he goes on, the Lord's prophecy through Ezekiel goes on, but is God doing this because Israel is really good or because God's ultimately primarily worried about Israel? No. This has to do with the Lord's name and the Lord. It's centrally important for the Lord that his name be upheld before the nations. There are several reasons for that, but one of the reasons we've already hit, right? The Lord is going to bring his gospel, his light, his covenant to the nations, and his name will be upheld. Same thing with the church. The church can be all kinds of corrupt and self-centered and you know, fallen stars in the church here and there all over the place and people following blindly and kind of idolatrously, you know, different church leaders and believing different things and not really paying attention to the Bible. But God's going to act. His, his light through Jesus is going to come regardless. The question is, are we in on it or not? You know? So y'all see this, right? Okay. 
So, so anyway, back to, so in other words, I, I just gave you a big view of what is going on here with why would the Lord be given the gospel in the aftermath of Adam and Eve and their fall? And I just told you why. God just told us why. Y'all see that, right? Okay, this tracks all the way through the, the Bible. It's another big thing. Okay, so that's number one on this note. Um, and the sentence is lasting on the serpent. It is not just for this age that the serpent bites the dust. And remember, I'm, I, 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 I view this as figurative or it's figurative symbolic language when you're talking about the serpent in, in uh, you know, because we know that the Bible elsewhere, elsewhere tells us Satan appears as an angel of light, right? You think if you think if the devil's trying to mess with you right now, he's going to slither in like a snake. What do you think? No way. Okay. So um, anyway, um, but I mean, he's going down like forever. So look at since we're in Isaiah, this probably I'm going to I may even mention this on Sunday. I love this. Remembering this. Okay. So this is Isaiah 65, 25, Isaiah 65, 25. Everybody knows the first part of this verse, but I'm highlighting for you also the coup de gras on the serpent, okay? The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox, right? That's wonderful. Guess what comes next? And dust shall be the serpent's food. <laughs> so there you go. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Serpent, you are, you're sucking wind. You know, you're, you're eating dust here, okay? As I restore all things in my creation. That's, that's the prophecy there. Isn't that cool? Um, Romans 16, 20. Romans, do not ignore the opening and closing of Paul's letters. That's not the interesting stuff. Oh, yeah, it's very interesting. Power pack stuff. 1620. The God of peace will soon crush. What's that say? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What's Paul talking about there? Well, we've been looking at, right? Y'all see that connection in Genesis 3.15, right? Okay, and also uh, Isaiah um, 65 and elsewhere. And secondly, notice this. Okay, women, here's, here's, the good, here's one of the good things for women, right? The gospel word passes over Adam. God does not say the seed of the man. That's, the seed is supposed to come from men, like with Abraham, right? But here, this is really interesting. This really struck me too in looking at this. Y'all can see why I've ended up kind of moving around in Genesis for a while. It's just like all this stuff is so interesting. Okay. Um, passes over to the woman to be fulfilled in the seed of the woman. And oh, this is rich for us as Christians. And this is really cool for women, right? Okay, so you go over to Galatians. 4-4, famous passage about Christmas, right? About the incarnation. This is Paul's 
This is Paul's, you know, Christmas passage. Y'all know this one, right? So 4-4. Four, four. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of whom? Woman. Born under the law. To redeem those who were under the law, verse 5, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Okay. Um, is Jesus the seed of Joseph? No. Is Jesus the seed of Mary? Yes, but actually from the Holy Spirit, right? Everybody see that? So Genesis 3.15 is power packed. I mean, like power packed. Uh, Y'all, pretty interesting stuff, isn't it? Okay, so you got the virgin birth right there already told in 3.15. Y'all see what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, it's right there. All right. Then, um, now, then there's a series of anti-gospels. Oh, man, I wanted to get to some of this. Let's, let's go really hard for five minutes here before we wrap up. Anti-gospels in Genesis 4 through 11. Um, I already mentioned this in the introduction, this conflict between the city of man and man's quest to establish his own way, his own glory, his own name. And uh, let me just tell you, Cain, Cain is the city of man. Y'all remember Cain kills Abel, right? You remember this, right? Well, guess what? Guess what the city of man comes from? It comes from initially <laughs> Cain. Um, Cain. Uh, verse 17 of Genesis 4. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. This is not the good Enoch, okay? When he built a city, he called the name of the city after his, the name of his son, Enoch. Does that sound like a God-glorifying man to you? Does that sound like a man and my family is boss-glorifying person to you? Yes. Y'all get this? That's Genesis 4, 17. Um, all right, so y'all get this tension, right? God wants to build a community around the Lord's name and the Lord's kingship, and we want to do it our way. Now, Lamech. Now, this gets confusing because there's a couple of Lamics, but anyway, we're going to do the bad Lamech in uh, chapter 4 of Genesis. Chapter 4 of Genesis. Um, verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, notice he has wives, plural. Does that sound good to y'all? Um, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lama. This is a he-man. This is a this is a he-man. This is a man's man. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. You mess with me, man. I'm gonna eliminate, exterminate your entire family. Seventy-sevenfold. Anybody hear the echo that happens in the New Testament with this? Lord, how many times do we have to forgive Simon Peter? Eh? Seven, up to seven times? The Lord says 77 times, right? 
Um, so Jesus's way is, I would say, the polar opposite of Lamech's way. But y'all know we got a lot of Lamechs running around this world right now, right? Um, now, then we've got some good news over in 25, just verse 25. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called him Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another seed instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Now, by the way, Eve is eternally optimistic. If you like optimists, this is Eve, because she was excited about Cain at the beginning and thought he might be the seed that God was talking about, okay? So um, anyway, that's, uh, so you've got this conflict going on. You've got, um, let me just hit this. Uh, at least let's get to the bottom of the page uh, three here. You got this genealogy. Um, oh, at the end of this, by the way, on the good side of this, Seth and Enosh calling on the name of the Lord, okay? You get that at the end of chapter four, okay? You actually have some people calling on the name of the Lord. Um, this is at the end of four here. Uh, to Seth, a son was born and called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord, okay? And then five, you get this genealogy that runs all the way through a guy whose name literally means rest, Noah. That's what his name means, Noah. Noah means rest. And um, uh, let's see, this promise of relief. There's this other, this is like a good Lamech. Verse 28, Lamech, uh, when Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. There's this hope that Noah is going to bring rest. Now, his name is Rest, and he's a lot more faithful than pretty much everybody else in the ancient world, but is Noah going to be the Savior? What do you think? After the flood's over. No, we'll see that next time. Everybody good? So all these things, you see, are going to reverberate through Babylon and the conflict that runs all the way through our times, okay, in the New Testament.